Welcome to the Black Love Project's Black History Month series of intimate conversations on the topics that connect us. And today, the mums are in the house. So let's hear a bit more about my two guests today. Tracy Louis Fernand is the founder of Mother in the Mother, a perinatal support service providing antenatal education, birth attendance, as well as postnatal and infant feeding support. Tracy is immensely proud to be an experienced, fully trained and qualified doula and antenatal and postnatal practitioner. Her passion for working with new and expectant mothers has led her to collaborate with several female-focused charities and to train in perinatal mental health and coaching. Her mission is to make birth support accessible to all by supporting and encouraging women and their loved ones. She's also passionate about improving birth experiences through the sharing of experiences and evidence-based information. But her biggest achievement to date has been mothering her now teenage daughter. My second guest, Dr. Beverly Bryan, was a founder member of the Brixton Black Women's Group and the Organization of Women of African and Asian Descent, and a member of the British Black Panther Movement. She worked as a teacher in primary, secondary, tertiary, and community settings in the UK. She is co-author of The Heart of the Race, Black Women's Lives in Britain, which detailed the collective history, experiences, and struggles of Ordinary Black Women, which was originally published in 1985 and was reissued back in 2018. A lifelong educator, Beverly Bryan retired as Professor of Language Education from the University of the, West, of the West Indies in Jamaica, where she now lives. So I'm really happy that she's joining us. She is the mother of two sons, aged 41 and 38. So welcome, ladies, and thank you so much for joining me. So we're here to talk about motherhood, right? So I guess it's kind of makes sense to, to say that I'm also a mother. My daughter is soon to be 29. Um, but I think it kind of seems almost pertinent to start with our own experiences of being mothered um, and kind of going right back to childhood. And Beverly, something that was really interesting to me was the fact you sent me a photo of both your mother and grandmother when we were talking about you coming on the podcast so I'm really interested to, to hear about the influence of both matriarchs um, and the influence they had on your early life okay hi Betsy hi yes well I, I think I have to really say what I understand by mothering especially black mothering yes I want to say that it is love but it's also love that's embedded in a lot of socioeconomic realities. Mm -hmm. and, and those pictures of my grandmother is, um, and my mother show that long history that's been involved in, 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 in Black mothering. My grandmother was, was the first kind of mother I remember. My mother actually was part of that Windrush generation who left in the 1950s um, to go to England. And I don't remember her very well. She was, um, she left when I was about four. So I have a kind of, the essence of her, but, and the things that she sent back to us um, to Jamaica, but I, I can't remember her very well. She, when I talked to her later in life, she'd give me some 
image, uh, tell me some stories about things that happened with us, but I can't remember her being in Jamaica, but I remember my grandmother and the fact that she had me and my two sisters and my aunt's children, my cousins, all of us in that house in Portland, in Jamaica, in that period when oh, everybody, everybody was migrating, but you know, the mothers left their children um, with her grandmothers. So she was a woman in her seventies who was looking after a whole set of children and all of us were under 10. And some of us were, my sister was a baby in arms when, when my mother left. So I always think about her as a woman who had worked really hard and struggled you know, to, to help her daughter um, as she went to England um, to seek her fortune. My father was there, but he left soon after my mother. My mother went first and then she sent for my father. And it took about um, six years before she was able um, to send for the rest of us. So I just remember that that's a woman who was very important in my, in mothering me. And I think that role only comes about because of the struggles that we've had to we've had to endure. And I think these are things that still happen to us because I know of women now who are doing that kind of grandmothers, women of my age who are now grandmothers who are actually mother, mothering their children. So I think we, we need to remember them and, and, and you know, kind of understand that kind, those kinds of origins. Of course, my mother, I would then meet when I went to England um, I, we migrated there, went there um, in 1959. I and I just remember a woman who really also had to struggle really hard um, with my father um, living in Battersea in order to be able to, to, bring, up, uh, to bring up her children in, in, in the way that she wanted. So I think that love, I, I, I have to say that love is there. We don't, don't necessarily express it in the same way. We're not always hugging in those days. You weren't hugging and saying, I love you every minute, but you were, you were performing acts of love for, for your children. I think that's what we have to remember that it, this is a different age. And at that time, my grandmother and my mother expressed it in the ways that they could and the ways that they felt we needed in order to make a better life, because that's what it was about, doing whatever was necessary to make a better life for us. Mm, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think we we all have stories of, you know, siblings who were left, you know, in in the Caribbean um, uh -huh. when our parents came to England. I was born in England, um, yeah. and I guess that the thing that I didn't have was that relationship with my grandmother because my grandmother always lived in Saint Lucia, um, uh -huh. whereas I was born in England. Um, and I met my, I never met my maternal grandmother because she died when my dad was, was, was a child. Um, but I met my maternal grandmother once. And, um, and yeah, so I, I think that that's something that is, that I, that I wish I had, you know. Um, Tracy, mm -hmm. uh, can I bring you into the discussion? What, what do you, what's your experience of that kind of early mother and grandmother, if possible? Yeah, so so absolutely. I mean, I didn't know um, my grandparents, and and I on my maternal side, they were in Saint Lucia. Um, sadly, they died before I met either one of them, um, but still were a very big part of our lives growing up. And I'm the eldest of four, um, and I remember um, really giving 
our ages away now, but it was the old telephones with the, the curly wires, you know, um, there were no mobiles. Um, but but it, there would be a huddle period where, you know, during the week there'd be a phone call back home and it was always back home. And I didn't know what this home was. Um, I wasn't actually fortunate enough to travel to the Caribbean until I was 12. So, you know, but, but I always knew there was another home beyond the home um, that I called home, which was, you know, I was born and bred in, in England. Um, but, but yes, our grandmother um, certainly was a big part and our grandfather too. And, and for us, it was always around um, really being quite, quite religious, quite spiritual, um, and they would pray for us. And, and, and as a child, it was very strange that they were praying for someone they didn't know. But they knew us, you know. So it, it was almost like, even though we'd never met them, they they had a big impression on our lives and and were a big force within our lives. And of course, we saw that through our aunts and our uncles, um, and and the way that they spoke about them. Um, so so on my mother's side, it's quite a big family. There were ten children, um, and and they would talk about my grandparents as if they were there you know very recount stories of them growing up um in this country I, it was only my mum and one of her younger sisters so I guess now looking back I, I suppose as a child you don't really think about it um but you know there was that yearning uh, and I know that when I became a mum I I needed my mum in a way that I didn't think I would you know so so perhaps that yearning to to have that closeness and and only be able to contact at the end of a line um but but certainly you know those influences are very apparent um and you know when I think back to to being a child it, it's often smells you know smells of food of baking um you know mm. um Friday was hair washing day and, and you know and I knew that, that my hair would have to be detangled in it and all of these things that were rituals that actually my mother had experienced as a child as well so it, these things you know that they, they flow throughout our history um and and of course there, there were there were challenges um I, I don't know how you know these two young women really coped um in England at that time you know um yeah I, I, I don't know but but I, I suppose going back to the mothering you know even though I didn't know my my grandmother and, and then when my mum um my stepfather I, I got to know his mother uh, and again it, it kind of it became almost organic there was this huge emphasis on religion um you know, on loving thy neighbour, you know, Bible study, all of those things that kind of were connected to my mum, but then to, to be able to see it in real life. Um, and and it's this common thing that, you know, I pray for you, um, which is beautiful to know that it doesn't matter how much distance there, there is, that you're always being, you know, thought of in a positive way and, and having, you know, best wishes bestowed upon you. Um, so, so yeah, that's kind of my my sort of earliest memories, which, which obviously link to how I then became a mother. Um, Thanks, Tracy. Yeah, I, I think with 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 my experiences with with my mother, um, growing up was it was it was hard. You know, uh, I've got I've got six brothers, 
And uh, we didn't all grow up in England. Two of my brothers uh, grew up in uh, St. Lucia and one came over when he was about 14. So when he came over, I would have been probably about eight, uh, seven or eight. Um, and yeah, it was hard. And, and But one of the things that, that I remember very clearly about my mum was her positivity and her way of shielding us from stuff that maybe we kind of you know she didn't want us to kind of be aware of and so my my upbringing um was kind of I was kind of in a happy oblivion I guess because now speaking to my mum um I recognize that there was a lot that she kind of she was the barrier between us and kind of the bad stuff that was going on um and, and she always had this really kind of positive outlook and she'd always say you know why worry she'd always say that and it's kind of like this little mantra that I've always remembered why worry you know just kind of just do what you need to do um so so yeah I guess that that's kind of one of the things that that I have carried with me through life this this kind of you know trying to kind of always have this very positive outlook on on uh, on life so I'm interested um with with both of you ladies on maybe what one thing would you say has really influenced you if you could capture it in a word maybe or even if not in a word in a phrase what would it be that you've kind of taken from your mother or learned about motherhood from your mothers or grandmothers what my mother had was I think a very strong um, sense of economic independence and she always believed that you should find a way of of, of finding the money that you need in, in, in order to survive. She was the first person to um, think about buying the house, uh, about um, getting the, with, with, with my father, getting the, um, the partner system going. She had a oh my very gosh, yes. strong, <laughs> and, 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 that, and that's, what, that's what they use. So, I mean, I didn't use the same system. But I understood that it was that financial independence was important, and what one of the ways in which you did that was in 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 making sure you had somewhere to live that you you could call a, call your own. Um, I don't think she had a to a fulfilled life because I think at that time having that many children living in England with all the kinds of, of course, racism that that they they face as families. I mean, part of buying the house. Um, was in, in fact to be independent of, of, of that, that kind of racist system. But I think she didn't have, she didn't fulfill herself in, in all the ways she could have that. I could see that she was a woman who was had financial abilities that she was able um, to, to deliver because, um, because of the time. But I do take that from her that that was important that we should find ways of being independent. Um, in the society mm. and and so important right so a really good thing to pass on to your children Tracy mm -hmm. um if you had one piece of wisdom that that you could that really influenced you what would it be so so I mean one piece of wisdom that's really hard um but but just thinking about um my my grandmother that, that obviously I never met um and then the grandmother that I was fortunate to be adopted by which was you know an absolute honor um for me they were always very stern um and, and so really resonating with with what you said Beverly that 
you know, there, there was a sternness about they they didn't take any prisoners, but but, but there was love in amongst all of that, you know. Um, so caring for us as a family was at the forefront of everything that they were doing. Um, but I kind of feel like there wasn't the time to 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 deal with all of that fluffy stuff and and fluffy stuff. Um, and we we have a, a portrait here um, of my mum as a baby um, with four of her siblings that were still very young. Um, and it was quite common in those days to have a black and white portrait done whenever a new child was born. Um, and, and so there's five of them there and my grandmother, and they're all very serious. And, and it kind of makes me think that you know, when we look at the images that, that we have, you know, I'm mother of one, um, but all of our images are always very smiley. And, and sometimes I don't think that that's helpful. Um, sometimes we need to be aware that there are some realities that can be harsh, you know, mm, absolutely. Um, and, 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 and we'll probably touch on it later on about, you know, this whole thing about social media ready and, you know, um, and, and is it true and is it actually making us actually more dissatisfied with our lives because we think that everybody else has this perfect life um but but coming to my mother um I've always been a bit of a stickler for you know well I have to have a list and I have to have a plan and then I have to have a plan b and if plan b doesn't work it's all right because I've got plan c and my mum would always say if you want to make God laugh plan and and so that's kind of stuck with me um and you know for me it, it's like you know sometimes you can't be too stringent in life you know the main thing is are you doing good are you trying to live good you know mm -hmm. but but having to sort of take a step back and breathe and just say well do you know what maybe that wasn't my path um and it's a hard lesson when you when you like to have everything in order um but but a good lesson to, to know so so you know uh, that sometimes things don't always go according to plan but it, that's not you know there may be a bigger plan who knows so yeah. that's probably one of the biggest things that I one of the biggest takeaways certainly from my mom so I want to kind of with with that in kind of in mind and uh this kind of beginning for us all you know this 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 idea of being mothered and the the influence that that had on us um I want to kind of move into to motherhood and 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 kind of us as mothers now um and one thing I'm, I'm always really interested in um, when I speak to friends who are mothers is how their children would describe them. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've spoken to my daughter about this um, and, uh, and I actually asked her again recently and she said, well, mum, you and dad are actually pretty cool. You know, you're really cool. And, and what's really interesting about her is that she says that she she has she says she has the perfect kind of um uh parents for advice because whenever she needs kind of emotional advice she comes to me and whenever she needs that more kind of logical practical advice she goes to her dad and she always judges each situation on whether it's practical or whether it's emotional and she'll go to that person first and then she'll go to the the second parent second so she always gets this kind of really full um, full uh, kind of piece of advice and I just I just was always I was just quite chuffed that she kind of thought that I was quite cool um, apart from of course when I'm trying to use tech speak and I, I'm doing it really badly of course um, so I'm just interested in how your children or how I don't know whether you've asked them but how do you think they would describe you as a mother 
Um, I've never had that conversation. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's because coming out of that tradition where we didn't necessarily display those, the arcs, those kind of emotional questions. So I'm just really thinking of what they, what they said or might have said. I, I know that when they were teenagers, they probably thought I was quite strict, but and I know they still think I'm, I'm probably quite quite demanding. I, I don't know if it's my 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 teacher background, but certainly from the like the letter I should, I was looking for it today, by the letter that my son wrote to me when he was fourteen about how much he loves his <laughs> loves his mother, even though he doesn't always show it. It suggests to me that they they, they understand. And from the actions of things, you know, we've had to do and share and um, things that have happened to us um, since they've been, uh, as they've been growing up, that they do understand that I, I am actually there for them. And I think that, that you have to be and recognize that, you know, it ain't never over, that there, <laughs> there's always a way in which you have to be part of their life. And, and they want you to be part of your, your life. And you have to, I'm not saying that, that, that every child wants their parent, but if they do, then, you know, hug, hug it up and understand that that is part of being like a, being like a, a mother, mother forever. Um, um, and and it's, been, it's been quite an experience for me because you know that I lived in England until um, our sons were, were um, 12 and eight, 12 and eight. Um, and then we came, my husband and I, we came to Jamaica. I was recruited to teach at University of the West Indies. So we've had quite different experiences because it's quite different thinking about mothering in, in Jamaica as opposed to, to being in the UK. In the UK, you have to find the institutions that can help you, right? Whether it's a childcare or in my case, setting up a crash with the, in the, in the, the college I was working in, in, in Jamaica we would find um, a housekeeper who would make sure that when you're at work, there's somebody there that they, that, that they, could, they, could, come, they could come home to. But in, in every case, I think that my children, uh, my sons would have appreciated that, you know, I was there for them. But the way they, they worked with uh, my husband and I was, I think they, they kind of played us off against each other. They'd go for advice from one and then they'd go for permission from the other and then they'd weigh up which one was the most favorable to, <laughs> to, to, their, to their end. And I think that that's really just part of the way you learn about society as well. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You And typical of children, they, are, they can be very manipulative. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and it's the way, way they learn about life and sometimes being manipulative you might take the advice from this one, you know, maybe they think that their father might be more generous because, you know, he wants it done with. <laughs> it's not always the best thing to, to, find the, to find the person tells you that you can go to the party when you should go to the party. Tracy, what, what about you, you? What would you say? So, so, look, my daughter's 14 and there has been a common thread throughout her whole life that mummy's really overprotective. Um, and, and, I, and I don't apologise for that. Yes, you know, I've, I've got one child, she's a girl child. Yes, I am overprotective, perhaps. Um, but she does... How, how does that manifest, would you say, that kind of overprotectiveness? 
oh do you know I mean so I worry about everything so you know and, and I think when I when I teach you know when I when I, I am facilitating I'll often say and it resonates with with the expectant mums and new mums you know that there are two bags that we carry as mums you know um one is worry you know um and the other is guilt you know am I doing enough are they going to be okay? Doesn't matter how old they are, you know, how far they get. But that, so that it's constantly with us. Um, and, and, you know, and I embrace it because I think to try and, and resist it would be harsher um, mm. for me, certainly. Um, but, but what it means is that, you know, there's an anxiety whenever there's something new that's going on. And of course, we're constantly going through different phases. Um, and I think it's the beauty of parenthood that we kind of master one bit and then they grow and develop and start doing something else. Um, so, so she's always said that, that yes, I'm, I'm very protective, but equally, um, you know, we've always been very open and being able to discuss anything um and and I, I guess I love that you know we we have a house that's full of laughter and and that's good when I need to be firm I'm firm um but but she says that that yeah you know she can talk to me which is great and you know at this age I'm hoping that it continues you know there's times when I'm not called mummy but you know maybe I was never called mummy and that's fine um but I think she understands just like I understood with with my mum um mm. just like my parents understood with their parents that this is a huge role and it's a serious role you know um and I take it very seriously and I want us to have fun and all of that but there's times where I have to say you know for your own safety you know for the safety of my own health my heart you know all of those things and she's aware of that you know um and, and she's hilarious she'll say mommy don't worry I, I know I'll take care of you it's just like what I'm taking care of you but you know but the roles I think um it's a wonderful thing to see that we, we go through these phases in life and we start off very independent become adults in our own right but our parents always are parents you know um, and there comes a time where those roles start to shift and you know they're still our parents but then we become carers to us to an extent as well and I see glimpses of that already you know um, so yeah so, so I think the overprotective is definitely one um, but she loves that we can we can talk about anything you know mm. um, and 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 it's something that what we found, um, particularly in that transition from primary school to secondary school, um, has been really, really important. Um, and, and she's realising through talking to her peers that that's not always the way, you know, there's not always that line of communication. Um, and she, she'll do a, a funny thing where she'll say, Mom, I, um, I need to tell you something, but you need to promise not to shout. <laughs> and then I know I need to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> and I always say look I can't promise but you know I'm, I'm gonna let me hear what you've got to say so there's, there's this communication where she knows that sometimes it might not be what I want to hear but we can talk through it I, I have two friends two friends who have moved out of London um, just at the point that their their black boys were becoming teenagers um, yeah. and again you know I think one of the things that I found really interesting Beverly is I've been reading your book and mm -hmm. um, there's so much that is just the same 
And yes. bearing in mind, your book was published in 1985. Yes. And we're now yes. talking about 2020, 2021. You know, yes. I mean, of course, it was republished in 2018. But it's just, it's just unbelievable that it's still mm-hmm. the same things that we're talking about. Um, mm. You know, and, and that we still have this anxiety as mothers. And, and actually, you know, the fact that we are having to think about these things, we, we're always having to almost kind of second guess, you know, as, as, as black mothers, there's kind of another layer of stuff. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, you know, I know you talk in your book about kind of race as well as class, as well yes. as, you know, yes. gender, you know, we're, yes. we're kind of, we have these three things going on as black mothers, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, um, I'm interested as well, actually, Tracy, in, in terms of, you know, having, is she, is, is she Gen Z or is she a different generation? She's 14, your daughter. I'm not sure because my daughter's a millennial, but I guess I, I think yours might be younger than Gen Z. No, she actually, she probably is Gen Z. What are your kind of concerns and worries about kind of? So, so I mean, I, I have I have lots of concerns, um, but but just to to really stress what what Beverly said earlier that this isn't new, you know, and and you know we talk about BLM, yes, but you know my daughter was born in two thousand and seven, and I knew that there, there would be um, additional anxieties that I would have because I had a black child, you know, and, and this is something that my mother would have carried, my grandmother would have carried, my great grandmother. So this has gone through generations, mm. you know. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, I remember Rodney King, you know, as mm. a child, you know, on the news and thinking, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, and, and these things are still happening now. And I think as a mother, we don't just it's, it's not just about bringing up a child. It's about having to combat what their peers are being taught in their homes as well. Because this, this prejudice, this racism, this discrimination, it, it isn't something that any of our children are born with. It's something that they, they learn, you know? And, and so having to battle that and knowing that actually, you know, outside of the confines of your home, there's a real challenge. You know, so so I think that you know, for me and, and for someone that I'm, I'm sure every mother, but but for someone that really worries about their child and about their future and about you know what is the world going to look like for them, um, we have all of that historic baggage, if you like, that we have to carry, and then we're living in a world where actually there is so much access to information. And not all of it is the right information, as we know. Um, and, and we're combating, you know, we're the first parents that are having children that have social media that, you know, uh, uh, that, you know, they carry an encyclopedia in the form of a phone that isn't always, you know, an accurate account of what's going on. Um, we know that people like to hide behind, you know, social media and, and say things that, that are really quite virulent that you would never say to someone. So, so, so there's all that added, you know, um, and, and part of me, I mean, we have constant battles where we, we talk about, you know, downtime for electronics because is it actually healthy for us as adults, far less for our children? Um, and, and it's an ongoing thing, but of course we've got nothing to compare to because we're the first that are having to deal with this. So there, there are lots of challenges, lots of challenges. And I think that, 
you know, we've talked about some of the the barriers, the traumas um, that, you know, our ancestors would have had to deal with and, and we may not have been aware of, but when you become a parent, it all becomes very clear, you know. Um, so, so I think it's, it's an ongoing thing, but, but we've got the addition of technology, which is meant to be good, but we know it is not always healthy. So there are lots of, of, of other layers there. Um, and, and then we see the flip side that actually, you know, if we go for a walk or we do something in nature, that that is actually welcome. So that there's, there's stuff beyond, you know, the confines of a little screen, you know, but it, it's, it's a huge concern. Mm, absolutely. Uh, I think in terms of social media, um, that's just changing everything, isn't it? And we, I guess, we, we've experienced this. Like you say, we, we grew up with all of these different things that happened in terms of race and, and kind of being oppressed. Um, and I guess my take on what's happened over the last year, of course, like you say, it's something, it's not, it's not anything new. We've grown up with different movements. And so there's a part of me that's quite skeptical, I have to admit, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, that quite often white society will adopt something when it feels like it's fashionable. And then, uh, you know, it kind of wanes a bit. And, um, and, I, and I kind of feel that already that's, that kind of waning is happening. But the thing that makes me really optimistic is looking at um, some of what's going on with the millennials, you know, so my, my daughter's kind of generation and how they are claiming uh, their right to be here, how they are developing businesses, successful businesses, uh, they're setting up home. Um, and of course, there's this whole kind of movement of, of young kind of millennials who are kind of going to Africa and starting lives in, lives in Africa. Um, so I think that, that my take on what's happening and what's happened over the last year is, is a little bit of both. It's a little bit of skeptical and kind of, I'm kind of sitting back and kind of seeing how this might be different from before, you know, um, but also hopeful, you know, so, and I guess that is the kind of positive thing I get from my mum, right? I'm just kind of trying to kind of hope that there is going to be some kind of lasting change but recognising that we've been here before. The thing that, that, that for me feels different is that, you know, if I speak to any circle of friends, you know, as black people, we know that this has been an issue, not just in our lifetimes, but in lifetimes before. There seems to be a, a, an awakening um, in our white peers. And, and actually, I feel like, you know, it's not our trauma to carry anymore. They need to take some of that on and, and there's a brilliant book um, actually by Nova Reed called The, the Good Ally and, and that's what we need you know we, we need them to be allies but for once to step up and say actually this is what's really happening we, we've spoken on it so many times and our voices haven't been heard this is what needs to change and and I love what you said about our children and you know they're not prepared to take it and part of that comes from us you know um, certainly, you know, that there were, I know that I had expectations and there are things that I'm just, I'm not prepared to tolerate and the next generation are less prepared to tolerate that. And I think it's beautiful to see. I, I, I know definitely one of the things when I had my daughter, one of the things that I really wanted her to understand was that she could achieve anything. I didn't want her to feel as though she couldn't achieve stuff, you know, and and I know a lot 
of um, people that came over, a lot of the, the things that they wanted to achieve were almost taken away from them, you know, and you had to be so determined and so kind of um, just hard, really, almost, in order to get the things that you, you really wanted to achieve. And, and I always wanted her to feel that she could just go out there and she could get anything that she wanted. And she, she does. And that's, if there's nothing else that I've achieved as a mum, I'm really proud that I've instilled that in her. Um, and, and that's why I can say that about, about her generation. And I look at her friends and how well they're doing. And it makes me feel that I've done a good job as a mum. Okay, so let's think about um, maybe what we can all kind of learn from each other, really, because uh, Beverly, I won't say how old you are, but you are a little mm. bit older than, than, than myself. Um, mm. And I think, you know, certainly I have a, a daughter in her late 20s. Um, and I guess one of the things that I, I've learned as a mum is that everything is a phase. Yeah, everything is a phase. I remember when she was young and she was teething and you kind of feel like it's never going to end. And the only way I get through things in life is by telling myself it's a phase. And I just wonder, um, you know, if there's a bit of advice, for example, Beverly, that you could offer us about being a mum of children who are, they're grown themselves, right? They're in their late 30s and 40s. Yeah. Um, and also, Tracy, you know, what you might have learned um, in terms of having a child who's kind of just come into teens. So, Beverly, what is there anything that you want to kind of share I, I with think, us? I don't know about that. Sounds like the wise old out. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think I think I've applied it in 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 life. I think of um, Maya Angelou and still we rise. Yeah. So you have to stay the course because we will rise. And I think with with uh, with the work I've done, I feel that it's important to be consistent and to stay the course. But I think with our children, what I said earlier is that it's never over. Even though my children, my sons are in there, in um, as I say, one of them is is forty, so do one. There's there's still the children that you need to support, that, that you need to support, that you want to support, and that they appreciate as well. So just stay with them. And, and, and the idea that you have in society, oh, that at 18, they're, they're grown and out of it. No, they're still family and, with, and they still need support. Go back to grandmother. My mother left <laughs> Jamaica with the, left her three children to this 71-year-old, my age now, 71-year-old woman. Wow. And, uh, uh, and, but she supported her daughter. She supported her daughter and her, and her, her grandchildren. So we have to stay. Remember, we're family always. But from the moment our children are born, we have to accept that we are actually letting them go. And that's really hard. It's taken me years to get my head around it. And, and, and I have good days and bad days with this one. Um, but, but it's about, you know, that this whole thing about instilling independence, growth, strength, you know. Um, but it is about letting them go, essentially. And that's hard, you know. And I, and I love that, you know, yes, they will always be a part of us. But actually, there is a part of us that needs them. And they need, you know, to, mm -hmm. to be able to, to stand up in their own right. So, so that's probably the biggest challenge for me. Um, but I guess the other thing is that, you know, that this whole thing about, um, there's, a, there's a phrase, um, and maybe this is a nice phrase, 
to, to sort of end on. Um, and, and when we talk about it, one of the things that, that I'm sort of feeling that's coming up in this discussion is how proud we are of the children that we have, you know? Um, and isn't that lovely? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so there's a phrase that, that I, uh, many years ago, um, but I still now, it still resonates with me. And, and it says that leading by example isn't everything. It's the only thing. Mm-hmm. And I think about the person that I am the person that my daughter is and the fact that you know for those that went before us it's by their grace that we are here doing the things that we are doing Mm. today um and so it's not always easy you know it's not always easy but 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 yes Beverly I applaud you yes and may Angela you know still I rise because that's what we're doing that's what we're doing Mm, thank you Tracy yeah um I think in terms of um leading by example absolutely um i love that phrase um i think what i wanted to do just very quickly was just talk about kind of the third area very very quickly um and that's kind of this area of kind of other mothering um and it's this kind of phrase really that that the um the black feminist uh, she's an american feminist writer uh uh, Patricia Hill Collings kind of coined and it's about the idea of of, of black women mothering in, in communities and so kind of and what was interesting to me about both of you um, ladies is that your roles in terms of your careers are kind of really fitting into that with Tracy kind of being a doula and supporting women through that uh, other women through that process of birth pregnancy and birth but also Beverly being in your own words, a lifelong educator. And um, it would be really lovely to kind of hear your take on on that, because really what you're doing is you're mothering in the community. And this is something that we have known that black women have done uh, over over many generations. Uh, So so Beverly, did you want to talk a little bit about your work? I don't want to spend too too long on it, but I, but I also don't want to romanticize it. At the time when I became a teacher, it was one of the few roles that were available to uh, a young black uh, young black black girl. You had to teach teachers' college. I wanted to teach literature. I wanted to. I love literature, but I couldn't go to London University because I didn't have Latin. So there there, there are as I oh, as I come back to social, economic, cultural. There, there are reasons why we, we well, certainly I um, took on that. But I did also, I did also love teaching, and I continued in, in that that particular way. I think in the primary school, you you're with young children, and you see yourself as providing and supporting, working with the parents, and so on, right through up to um, higher education, where you are in fact doing that mentoring, supporting, and providing. Um, you know, providing alternatives to young people. In my Zoom conversations that I that I have now with young black women, young young people on Zoom from BLM activists across the UK, I see that's also part of the education that I that I want to want to continue to support young people in whatever it is that they 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 want to do. That's the most positive um, thing about it. I mean, I, I suppose, you know, I, as an individual, yeah, so so I've been involved in many, many, you know, I've lost count of the number of families that, that 
you know, I've helped to support and worked alongside. Um, and, and, and often what I get asked is, is you know, what, you know what, what's the highlight of the work that you do? Is it the birth? You know, um, you know what, what, what is it? Um, and for me, it, it really is seeing those families transition and be able to stand up on their own in their own right. So it, it's not one element; it's many elements put um, together. And 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 you know, and, and I've sort of you know, I've bared my my I've, I've laid my cards on the table today, and I, I've said that you know I really struggle. You know, I am an overprotective mummy. I don't apologise for that. Um, but but knowing that actually, you know, sometimes what our children need is that freedom to be able to explore and to be able to discover life um, has been hard for me. So the way that I work is very much um, the way that I parent in as much as, you know, yes, I want to be involved and I, I, I want to be picking up all the pieces, but I know that in the long run, that may not be the healthiest way. So sometimes I, I do what, what um, I frequently have, just a little chat with Tracy, just to say, like, you know, you just need to step back a bit. Um, and I know that, you know, with my own child, that if I do my job right, she will be able to stand up in her own right. And that's what I want, you know. So I work in a very similar way, you know, very hands-on, very involved. But, but ultimately, what I'm doing is, is I'm giving you all of that information so that you can make informed decisions that, that suit you. Um, and so it's very similar to, to mothering, really. You know, in as much as, you know, I can't, there's something called helicopter parenting, you know, where you do everything for your child and then suddenly they're out in the real world and they just haven't got a clue. It, it, it's very similar to that. So, so trying to resist that because we're looking at, at the, the bigger the bigger picture. I think Tracy that that you're you're also kind of in a way almost underestimating how important what you do is certainly since of you know there's been that recent statistic about you know um black women being what's it I think is it one in four it would four so times so. more four so. times or five so. times more likely to die in childbirth than, than yeah. their white counterparts and so I think just having the visibility um, of a black doula is is quite a powerful uh, a really powerful thing um ladies uh thank you so much um for um just kind of coming on today and just bearing your souls really about your own mothering um sharing advice um tracy if people want to contact you in terms of what you do as a, a doula how can they contact you so, so I, I have a website um, and the website is motherinthemother.co.uk and, and, and it has all my contact details. It's got my social media platforms if you'd like to follow, as well as my email and, and my contact number. It's motherinthemother.co.uk. Lovely. Thank you, Tracy. And Beverly, your fantastic book. I, uh, I'll just say the uh, the title again, The Heart of the Race, Black Women's Lives in Britain. That's still available, right? And can be bought, yes, I guess. Verso. Verso Publishing. Yeah. And yes. it's available on Amazon as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. excellent. So thank you again, ladies. Um, two big takeaways. Uh, I think the biggest one for me, Beverly, was it ain't never over. Yeah, motherhood ain't never over. And that just lovely saying, thank you, Tracy, um, to lead by example. 
um, and, and how important those two things are. And I think that is probably the best place for us to end our conversation. So thank you, Tracy and Beverly, for joining me. <laughs>